Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'd like to ask you to stay with me. It's going to be a time of motivation, some inspiration, some education, and uh, no manipulation. I hope that's refreshing. No manipulation, no gimmicks, no games, no hustles. Just trying to give you some accurate information. Information that is designed to help you verify as well as identify God's plan for your life. If you're interested, I mean, if you want to know that. And if you are, then hopefully you can orient and adjust to the plan once you understand the information. But this show is always about that, not giving some useless speculation, but rather accurate information. And that information always comes from the canon of Scripture, i.e. the Bible, God's living word. I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture that says the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Whenever we meet and give you these radio shows, we're always giving you Scripture That's the basis of the authority that we represent, Scripture, nothing else. Not human viewpoint, not my viewpoint, not anyone else's viewpoint, but what does the Bible say? It's very interesting as we move through life, we find people that have their own viewpoint about politics, their own viewpoint about finances, their own viewpoint about love and marriage, and oftentimes it's not what the Bible says. Thus, it's called human viewpoint. Human viewpoint, as opposed to God's viewpoint, is seen, I guess, at its greatest in the term of legalism and grace. Legalism says that you earn your way to heaven by what you do, that you have to be good and you have to avoid certain sins, and uh, if you don't avoid those sins, well, then you're going to go to hell, people will tell you. However, that's not what the Bible teaches. Unfortunately, religion seems to focus on this. Religion seems to focus on the word called works. And uh, it seems that in organized religion, the more works you have, the more fruit, they say, that you produce. They called you producing fruit, and there's always those people in churches that are fruit inspectors. And it's sort of like the more good works you do, well, then the better God's going to smile on you. Unfortunately, God doesn't operate that way. He cannot be manipulated. He uh, cannot be coerced. He doesn't operate on emotions like you do. See, that's humanizing God. And humanizing God doesn't work. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. God even knows what you're thinking. God knew about you in eternity past before you ever became a figment of your grandmother's imagination. God knew you and provided for you a wonderful plan. That plan started with his son, our Savior, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, coming and dying on a cross for our sin, paying for our sin. That's why the Bible says he that knew no sin was made sin for us. This had to be done because there was no way that you or I could redeem our own selves out of the slave market of sin. Why could we not do that? Because the Bible says there are none that are righteous. No, not even one. All of our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. 
I won't give you the literal Hebrew interpretation of filthy rag. That may offend some of you, but some of you that have been around, you know what the interpretation is. This is what God thinks about these good works. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your good works will not carry you. Number one, they won't save you. And number two, they won't carry you. In other words, they won't carry you to the judgment seat of Christ and get you any rewards. They're going to be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. And hopefully you can identify good works. Let's make sure we know what we're talking about. Good works in regards to salvation means you try to earn your way to heaven by uh, not doing certain sins. You may think since you haven't fornicated with a someone, you may think since you don't cheat on your taxes, and you may think since you were a member of the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts that you're a good person. And it may be true. You may be a morally good person. If so, I'd like to know you. I like meeting good people. That doesn't qualify you or me for heaven. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. The Bible's clear about that. It's clear when it says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man would brag about it. Yes, I enjoy being around good people. But good people don't always go to heaven unless they believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as their Savior. And this is the problem. They don't see a need for Christ. You know, especially people that are self-righteous, if they look into the mirror and they say to themselves, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I bet you that uh, God will cut me some slack and give me a break. Not going to happen. The slack that God cut you started on the cross when Christ paid for your sin. He didn't require you to pay for it. He required his only begotten son to pay for it. But self-righteous people don't think they need redeeming because they don't think they're bad enough. Fortunately, the bad people, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, such as found in Luke chapter 15, they knew they were bad enough. And they, of course, are the ones who believed in Jesus Christ. You know, if a person realizes who they are, then they know what they are. And this is where it all starts. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The real you is what you think. And that includes your motives, your intentions, and your desires. God knows your motives for what you do. He knows what you intend by doing what you do, and he knows what your desires are. And he's able to evaluate us based on that. The Bible tells us his eyes go to and fro across the earth. Yes, he knows that. So uh, the next time you think that God's going to cut you some slack because you're a good person, please remember that that is not true. If it were, then Christ would not have needed to come and die for, uh, for us, to pay the penalty for us. We could have earned it ourselves, but we can't. That's why so many people have a hard time with believing in Jesus Christ and trusting in Christ alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. That's foreign to some people. And I hope it's not foreign to you. I hope you have made the single greatest decision that any one person can make. And that's when the Bible says, Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
If you at some point in your life have admitted to the Father that you are willing to receive Christ as your Savior, that's the greatest decision you could ever make. For me, it happened one night in a, in a home as I was visiting with a friend for a what I thought was a party but turned out to be a Bible study. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't even belong there. But that night I heard the gospel. I heard how Christ died for me. I heard that he paid the penalty for my sin. And the greatest news I heard was this, that I could have peace with God, that I didn't have to lay in my bed at night and think about all the horrible things I'd done and wonder if I died, would I go to heaven? That night, by making a single decision to receive Christ as my Savior, my life changed. That's why the Bible says if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. That night for me, I didn't become different on the outside. I mean, I was still the same person if you looked at me. But on the inside, I was transformed. I was given a new life. Spiritually speaking, I was born again. My dead human spirit that was identified with Adam's original sin was born again. And now I had a physical life as well as a spiritual life. And I certainly had to learn how to live the spiritual life. It took me a long time as I wandered around trying to be a, quote, good Christian, listening to what other people told me I should do, things like, well, you know, good Christians don't do this, and good Christians don't do that, and uh, if you want to be a good Christian, then do what I tell you to do. And it's always weird. It's always funny. I remember one time I purchased a gun, a handgun. This was years ago. And I remember a, quote, good Christian getting offended at that. And he said, well, brother, don't you trust God? And it's ridiculous that people get so absurd about these things. Listen, you trust God and I trust God, but the Bible doesn't say you shall not own a handgun. The Bible doesn't say you shall not take a drink. The Bible doesn't say you shall not dance. The Bible doesn't say you shall not smoke. And yet people come up with all these legislative rules about what they think the Bible says. It may be a shock to you, but it's just as much of a sin for a preacher to eat two chickens on Sunday afternoon as it is for the owner of the house to drink two beers if you think that's a sin. See what I'm saying? There is a sin and uh, that sin is called gluttony, and however, that one's always overlooked because we want to go to the bad things. And if you do the bad things, then you can't go to heaven. Unfortunately, that's not true. Bad people do go to heaven every day, and because they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're not good in the eyes of the others who look at them, Pharisees looked at people all the time. They looked down their noses at people all the time. And this is what our Lord was confronted with constantly, the self-righteous religious Pharisee who thought he was better than everyone else. And they were not. He called them dead men, vipers. He detested these, and not in a way of sinning, I don't mean that, but he detested their self-righteous attitude because they rejected him and rejected everything that he did to identify that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And they plotted to kill him, and eventually they succeeded. 
and having him tried before Pilate. And even though Pilate said, I find nothing wrong with this man, they insisted that he be crucified. I'm thankful that he was crucified because that was God's plan originally from the beginning. It was God's plan. He told the disciples that was God's plan. He warned them that he was going to have to die. And there was not going to be the kingdom they expected to happen. They were going to have to wait for that kingdom. And they were going to have to take up their cross and follow him as well. And that kingdom is yet to come. It's called the millennial kingdom. It is coming. We don't know when, but we know in First Thessalonians chapter 4 that he will return and he will resurrect the dead from the grave, and we will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and thus shall we evermore be with the Lord. And I only have one question. If that happened today, would you go? Would you be in heaven? Would you receive a resurrection body? Have you, in fact, trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you even know for sure? Some people say, well, you can't know for sure, Rick. There's no way you could ever know for sure. Oh, yes, there is. Let's go to the Bible. These things are written, 1 John 5, verses 11 through 14. These things are written so that you might know that you have eternal life. He that has the Son has life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. And here's the interesting thing. Christ said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He says in the Bible, my Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that amazing? In 2 Timothy 2, the Bible says, even if we believe not, yet God still abides faithful. And there are many people who believed in Jesus Christ at a young age, and yet as they grew older and strayed away from the Word of God, began to have a liberal attitude, and some now may even say there's no such thing as God. But God hasn't forgotten what they did as a youngster. And they will be in heaven based on their faith in Jesus Christ, even at a young age. You know why? Because in Ephesians 1.13 says they are marked or branded with God's brand. The Bible says when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are sealed until the day of redemption. You know, Satan may steal the cattle. We use this, this cowboy illustration, cowboy metaphor. Satan may steal the cattle, and he may brand them with his brand, but it'll have to be over the brand of God, and they still belong to God. That's why Luke 15, recently my pastor was teaching this, this, these three parables in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep that belonged to the master and the shepherd, and he went to find the sheep. It was his sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. These were all believers, believers who strayed away, and yet the Father looked for them. The Father longed for them. The Lord is never going to disown you. And you might have done some pretty stupid, ridiculous, absurd things, but he has not disowned you. And that's the one great promise you can always count on, even your children. If you evangelized them when they were young, like I did, and you saw your children accept Christ as Savior, like I did, maybe they may walk away from the Lord, like some of mine have. 
but they still belong to him. And there's not a day that goes by that you and I can't pray that God would call them back to himself, that he would convince them and convict them, and that they would seek his face. Yes, they still belong to him, and we belong to him, and we have eternal life through Christ our Lord and our Savior. I hope you'll never forget that. And I hope you always remember what we talked about last week, that we have three enemies that try to destroy our spiritual life. Yes, we've accepted Christ as our Savior, and yes, we are beginning to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, we are studying to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But yes, we have enemies. We are in a war, a spiritual war. And it's not a war for your soul. Your soul is already saved. It is a war for your thinking. It is a war to distract you. It's called the angelic conflict. The angelic conflict is alive and real in this world. You know, Satan doesn't want to go to the lake of fire no more than you do. And so he's constantly appealing his case to God. He's constantly trying to worm his way out of the sentence that's been passed already. And if he can, he will use you or me to try to impugn the love of God and to try to show that God is not love and he shouldn't send anybody to hell. But that's not true. God loves you, God loves me, and hell was not prepared for you, me, or anyone else. It was prepared for Satan and the fallen angels in eternity past who rejected God's plan. The fact that people wind up in the lake of fire is not ever God's plan because the Bible clearly says he is not willing that any should perish. That's why he sent his son. So Satan wants to avoid that if he can and to distract you, to limit you, hinder you from promoting the gospel, from promoting Jesus Christ in your life. He will do anything that he can. We have a real enemy called the devil. And Jesus identified him in John 8, where he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. It goes on to say he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie from his own nature because he's the father of lies. He's a liar. This is what you have to remember about Satan. He will tell you what you want to hear. Oh, he will offer you whatever the world has and you want. And if you go for that lie, you will sink yourself into the mire of the cosmic vortex. You'll never get out. He will wave it in front of you like something that you want and you will never get it. It's interesting. It's interesting to see it happen to people. They want this, they want that, they have this dream and that dream, and they're willing to walk away from God's plan and chase what the world offers, and that's another enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Satan is a liar. He cannot give you happiness. He cannot give you eternal life. He cannot give you security, and yet he will tell you that he can. He will lie to you, and he is a murderer. What does he seek to do? He seeks to destroy you. And if it weren't for God's plan, he might have already done it. But you have an angel that watches over you. Some people call it a guardian angel or a 
The Bible actually calls it a spirit that ministers to you, an angel that ministers to you. He watches over you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So Satan can't kill you. He might like to. He might like to get rid of you, but he can't do it. He was successful in several attempts to murder the Jews with maybe you could read the book of Esther and see what happened there. That turned around on him. You know, in the Old Testament, what happened to Isaac, and you're familiar with Isaac and what happened there. You're familiar with all of these attempts by Satan to destroy our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he thought he had won the victory, unfortunately for him, Christ walked out of the grave alive. He wasn't dead, and he's alive today. The resurrection from the dead sealed, sealed the victory for us. It's a done deal. God is one. He's one, W-O-N, not O-N-E, W-O-N. And Satan's had it. And so now we just await the shouted order for him to come back and to receive us to himself. But until that happens, he will always oppose us. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul talked about how Satan hindered him from coming to Thessalonica. And Satan can hinder you as well. How does he hinder you? Well, he, like putting the carrot in front of the rabbit, he distracts you. He deceives you. The whole thing is about discouraging you and defeating you in your spiritual life so that he can put off his time in hell. That's headed, it's headed that way for him. He doesn't want to go there. He wants to use you to get off. And so once you believed in Jesus Christ, that was another nail in a coffin for him. But if he can distract you, Maybe, just maybe, you won't be leading anyone else to Christ. and Maybe he can delay his time that's coming in the lake of fire. Satan will hinder you any way possible. Recently, I had someone travel with me to an evangelistic event, and uh, I laughed at when they tried to go home, they ran into all kinds of difficulties. And I kidded them about, well, that's what you get for hanging out with me. Satan wasn't happy about that, so he hindered you on your trip home, anything he could do to frustrate you. This is the God of this world. He is. He's the God of this world. And yet greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, in whose case the God of this world, there it is, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they might not see the light of the gospel. That's his objective, to put up a smoke screen so that people who have not believed in Jesus Christ don't have the opportunity to do it. And there's so many smoke screens up today in America, it's pitiful. I don't blame some unbelievers for saying, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it, because quite frankly, some of Christianity that you and I see is obnoxious. It doesn't represent God. It's not really what the Bible teaches. And yet the self-righteous, legalist, emotionally carried away, crazy folks seem to be the ones that get all the time on TV and do all the crazy things and supposedly represent God. And they get caught cheating, they get caught stealing, they get caught whatever. And then Satan has a heyday with that. So yes, he is going to hide the gospel. He wants to expose people in the ministry that fail, people in the ministry that, that do bad things, and they do because of the old sin nature. 
He even has his own ministers. You know, the Bible says that. He has his own communion table. The Bible says that. He has his own doctrine. The Bible says that. So Satan is at work, for sure. The world and the flesh, well, they're there. We have a battle with the flesh every day. The Bible clearly says the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh so that we can't do the things we want to do. There's always that temptation. It comes in many different ways, but it's just a temptation. That's all, a temptation. It doesn't become a sin until you act on it. Once you act on it, then it's a sin. But the flesh will send up these little T words, temptation, temptation, temptation. And all you have to do is say no, no, no. But sometimes you might say yes, yes, yes. Does that mean you're not a Christian anymore? It does not mean that at all. No, it means you've sinned. And can you recover from your sin? Yes, you can. You can use problem-solving device number one, the rebound technique. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's not a day that goes by that you, me, or any other believer doesn't need to use that verse in our life. The world is out there. The flesh is out there. Satan is there. We are commanded in the Bible not to love the world nor the things in the world because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. The greatest motivation you have in your life to represent God is personal love for him. That's why 1 John 5, 3 says, if you love me, you will obey me, and my mandates are not hard. But how can you love a God you don't know? How can you love a God that you've humanized and you think he's something when he's not? I can tell you something about God. He's sovereignty, he's righteousness, he's justice, he's love. He's omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, veracity, immutability. These are some of the character assets of God. I haven't seen him and you haven't seen him because the Bible says no man can see God and live. But I know this, I know him because his Holy Spirit lives in me and his Holy Spirit lives in you if you are a Christian to convince you of your sin, to show you the truth, and hopefully to guard you as you grow in Christ. God wants you to grow up. God wants you to become a mature believer and represent Jesus Christ in your life. That's why he gives us well-qualified pastors who teach us his word. And until you find yourself under the ministry of a well-qualified pastor, who teaches you God's word consistently, you will never grow up. You're not going to grow up running down to the bookstore buying some self-help Christian book that some joker's selling for $29.95 or $19.95. That's not the way the plan is. The plan is for you to sit in your church in the privacy of your priesthood and to listen to your pastor teach God's word that he studied and learned and brings to you. If you're not doing that, you're not growing no matter what you think. So consider these things, learn these things, understand these things, and apply them into your life. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 
3504 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.